What are you doing here? Well, I'm in town. Uh, what am I doing here? I was down in DeKalb, a little university yeah. you got down there. And they brought me up here to Sycamore, just take a look around. See our courthouse? Well, uh, some gentlemen from a, they call it a radio station. You ever hear that? W-N-I-J. Yeah, they're doing a little, uh, they call it a podcast. Okay. Uh, I don't know what a podcast is, but, but we're doing one. Welcome to Drinking with Lincoln from WNIJ, where we explore Abraham Lincoln's life, land, and legacy through the eyes of the people who know him best, Lincoln presenters. Each episode, I'll sit down with our guest for a drink, maybe two, and get their take on America's most popular president. I'll also learn about the presenters themselves, where they come from, why they do what they do, what makes them Lincoln. I'm your host, Clint Cargyle. I'm an author, historian, and professional Lincoln appreciator. Today's guest Lincoln is Kevin Wood. Most Lincolns actually prefer either to be called portrayers, portrayers or presenters. Reenactors is okay. We don't like impersonators. Elvis has impersonators. <laughs> Lincoln has presenters. Kevin is that rare breed of Lincoln presenter who works as a full-time Lincoln. And as far as Kevin knows, he's the only running Lincoln. That's right, this Lincoln runs races in his full Lincoln getup, hat and all. He is also a multilingual Lincoln. He gives presentations in English and Spanish and translates Lincoln documents into French and German. You know, just for fun. He can also recite the Gettysburg Address in four languages. Four score and seven years ago. Hace cuatro ventanas, mas siete años. Il y a cuatro vingt sept ans, no peur en donner. Vos iban en oxygaren, brachten en terrefeita. That's just a taste. Stay tuned to the end of our interview to experience more. I met up with Kevin in the city of DeKalb, Illinois. Before our interview, I took him on a quick tour of Coltonville, a town just north of here that no longer exists. It's just a field now, but according to records of Lincoln's service in the Black Hawk War, the 23-year-old future president once camped at this site. And according to local legend, not only did he camp there, but he came face-to-face -face with his future nemesis, a 23-year-old Jefferson Davis. But did this actually happen? And does it even matter? Because sometimes Lincoln legend can teach us just as much as Lincoln fact. We'll find out about that and more as we visit with Kevin Wood on this episode of Drinking with Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. You've heard of Lincoln's house divided speech. Well, in the land of Lincoln is a city divided. The north and south sides of downtown DeKalb are divided by historic Lincoln Highway. The east and west sides are divided by State Highway 23. And these highways are divided at their intersection by the Union Pacific Railroad. In fact, DeKalb is the only place in the whole country where railroad tracks divide an intersection of two state highways, which I guess is some sort of claim to fame. DeKalb's real claim to fame is barbed wire. It was invented here. A divisive device, if ever there was one. 1874. Can you imagine if it was invented before the Civil War? That's a whole other podcast. The barbed wire barons, Joseph Glidden, Jacob Haish, Isaac Elwood, they used their fortunes to establish the Northern Illinois State Normal School, which later became Northern Illinois University. And that's where I head to pick up this episode's guest, Kevin Wood. So I'm driving west on Lincoln Highway into downtown, hoping there won't be a train. A couple of blocks ago, I passed the Kishwaukee Kiwanis Park. It features a statue of a husky. That's the mascot for Northern Illinois University. It's painted in the likeness of Abraham Lincoln. Its name, appropriately enough, is Lincoln on Lincoln. Driving through downtown, passing the Lincoln Inn on my left. About a mile south of here is Lincoln Elementary. If I stay the course, I'm gonna pass by Lincolnshire Apartments. 
I could go on, but I'll spare you the rest. What I'm trying to say is, there's a lot of Lincoln in DeKalb. But for all these Lincoln markers, there's no proof that the 16th president ever stepped foot in DeKalb the city or even DeKalb County. Or did he? I catch up with Kevin on NIU's campus, where he's taking part in a professional development conference for educators. Kevin is easy to spot. He's tall, he's thin, he looks and dresses like Abraham Lincoln. If he didn't, well, I suppose he'd be out of a job. It also helps that he's 51 years old, the same age as Lincoln when elected president. As we leave campus, I notice that everybody goes crazy when they see Abraham Lincoln. Their eyes light up, some double-take or even rubberneck, some shy away while others come right up and start talking to him, and they always, always speak to him as if he is the actual president. Any letters in your hat? Do I have letters in my hat? <laughs> Hello. Hello. How are you? Good to see you. Oh. <laughs> Hello there. How are you? So nice to meet you, sir. Another thing I notice about Kevin is that when he's out in public, he never breaks character. He's always Lincoln, and he always has a story to tell, something I learn as soon as we start driving. Well, I remember a time of Douglas and I and Owen Lovejoy were all traveling together by stagecoach down to Bloomington. Well, you know, Douglas was a short man. That was mostly due to his, his very short legs. And then uh, Lovejoy, well, well, he had a um, normal-sized body, but rather long legs proportionally. And then there's me, of course, long body, long legs. Well, Lovejoy and Douglas get to argue in a bit about how long a man's legs ought to be. And not able to come up with an answer, they turn to me. Lincoln, how long ought a man's legs to be? I said, well, I've never given that man much thought, but on first blush, I should judge they should be just about long enough to reach from his body to the ground. <laughs> I explained to Mr. Lincoln that I want to explore his connection to Coltonville. I fill him in on Coltonville's backstory, but it's better if you hear it from DeKalb County historian Sue Breeze. Coltonville was one of the earlier settlements in DeKalb County. Rufus Colton came from out east. A lot of the people did, settling along the rivers where there was plenty of water, plenty of timber. Rufus Colton settled there after uh, the Indians were moved out of the area. Uh, with the exception of the Indians who had passed away. So there was one Indian chief, Chief Kappas, who had passed away earlier, and his funeral hut or building was still in the area, along with papooses, which they would hang from trees. Must have been one heck of a sight. So I got to interrupt Sue here to say this would have definitely been one heck of a sight because the papooses Sue refers to were actually the bodies of dead children placed in hollow logs, bound in twigs and bark, and tied to tree limbs. Rufus Colton reported that there were as many as 50 papooses suspended from trees in a grove near where he built his home. But apparently this did not deter him from settling there. Uh, originally it had a house, it had a store, it had a hotel, there was a distillery. No church, surprisingly enough. Probably about 20 people at its finest. It really only was thriving for a couple of years. When DeKalb County was, in 1837, declared a county, one of the first orders of business was to find a county seat. And they didn't have anything, so at that time, they just used Rufus Colton's house. There's actually a historical marker right there that marks the location of the first session of court for DeKalb County. But when Sycamore became the county seat, people moved to Sycamore because that's where all the action was. So Coltonville itself eventually dried up and, and went away. So this was about 1840 when all this happened. Coltonville is just a field now, plowed over hundreds of times since its demise. 
But the reason I'm bringing Mr. Lincoln here is to see if I can jog his memory, because according to the records of his time in the Black Hawk War, he once camped at this very site, before there was a Coltonville. As insignificant as that may seem, it would have been his only time to step foot in DeKalb County. We're standing here in Coltonville, Illinois, a place that you may or may not have been before. I, I, I don't recognize it. <laughs> not much here. If you were here, it uh, would have been May of 1832. Now, May, May of 32, and now that was uh, during the Black Hawk War. And of course, you served in the Black Hawk War. I served uh, nearly three months in the Black Hawk War. Can uh, you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I uh, moved to Illinois in 1830, and 31 is when I made the move down to New Salem. And then, uh, well, I suppose I've been in New Salem about six months when the Black Hawk War began, and, and I volunteered right away. Mm -hmm. Not much else to do down in New Salem, <laughs> uh, looking for work anyway. And so I volunteered, and well, one of the greatest honors of my life. That first month, I was elected captain of my volunteer company. Of course, most of the boys were from New Salem. They knew me well. But I, I didn't know the first thing about leading men. Yeah, I remember once we were out drilling, and uh, I had the men, uh, we were coming up on a fence. The fence with just one small opening in it, and well, for the life of me, I couldn't remember the, the military commands to get them to turn and go through. And so we're getting really close. I just uh, suddenly dismissed them and said, uh, well, we'll reassemble on the other side in two minutes. No, I wasn't much of a captain, you see. But after that first month, it was toward the end of that first month, toward the end of May, I think we headed over east, over this direction. So whether or not I actually ever stepped foot in this spot before, I really can't tell you. It's possible. So, it's possible. I can live with that. But there's that other intriguing aspect of this story. That meeting that may or may not have taken place at the time Lincoln may or may not have been camping at Coltonville. And for that, I'll throw it back to Sue. So supposedly, when uh, the Black Hawk Wars were going on, Black Hawk started moving east of the Mississippi, so he's moving in the area. Lincoln was a soldier at that time, and their task was to protect the locals from the Indians. So that's basically what brought him to the Coltonville area, where uh, he met up with other people and had somewhat of a, a council so supposedly that was Jefferson Davis and Zachary Taylor. So in 1832, a 23-year-old Abraham Lincoln possibly met future President Zachary Taylor and also his future nemesis, Confederate President Jefferson Davis. Three future presidents sitting around the campfire, or two future presidents and whatever Jefferson Davis was, depending on your point of view. This would have to be one of the most amazing historical coincidences of all time. I put it to Mr. Lincoln to see if there was any truth to this story. That the two gentlemen served in the war, certainly. A very important gentleman. Mm -hmm. Well, Taylor, of course, the general. <laughs> Davis, a little below him, but well, both much more important than I ever was at the time. But yes, they both served, but no, I, I never had a meeting with the two of them. Why, why would they invite me to a meeting? <laughs> no, I, I don't believe there's any, uh, any truth to that, I'm sorry to say. I'm thinking General Taylor probably would have been more up at... Uh, maybe Prairie du Chien or somewhere up there at that time. And I believe Jefferson Davis at that time was actually in Mississippi on furlough. Oh, well. Dear, now, now, here's something interesting, maybe okay. you don't know. Uh, Jefferson Davis and I, you know, we're both from Kentucky. Yeah, we were born uh, not 100 miles apart and not six months apart. Of course, as time went on, I gradually moved north and west, and he gradually moved south. Had a brother, had a plantation down in Mississippi. That's how he ended up down there. Wish he'd just stayed down there, but, well, that's another whole story. <laughs> so... It didn't happen. Lincoln may or may not have been there. That we still don't know. And we might never know. Zachary Taylor and Jefferson Davis served in the Black Hawk War, but were not in the area the same time as Lincoln. 
And even if they had been, why would they have met with some poor volunteer from New Salem? They were true military men. Taylor was a decorated colonel who had served in the War of 1812. Davis was a West Point graduate serving as lieutenant under Taylor. They would have had uniforms, modern weapons. Lincoln and his men would have been in their buckskins, carrying whatever weapons they could get their hands on. And then, as mentioned, Davis was actually on furlough at the time Lincoln may or may not have been in the Coltonville area. Here's an interesting side note. At the end of the Black Hawk War, it was Davis who escorted Chief Black Hawk back east, where he was imprisoned at Fort Monroe in Virginia. And after the Civil War, Davis was imprisoned at that same fort. But let's get back to Lincoln. Back to this story of three large historical figures and their unlikely meeting. A story that outlived Coltonville itself. Where did this story come from? I did a little digging and found that it originated sometime in the late 1800s, but really gained steam just over a century ago, between 1910 and 1915, which also happened to be the 50th anniversary of the Civil War. Towns all over the country celebrated this significant milestone, made more significant because several veterans of the Civil War were still living. Google American Civil War 50th anniversary and you can see pictures of these long-bearded elderly veterans at several events. There's even some film footage. People in DeKalb County wanted to mark this occasion as well. They wanted their place on the historic record, so this Coltonville story spread. It's not that they were lying. The story had been around for years. They just wanted to exploit it without, perhaps, doing their due diligence. But after 1915, after the 50th anniversary celebrations had wound down, the story all but disappeared. It still crops up every few years, mostly as a local novelty, an event that may have happened, but probably didn't. The people I've talked to in the last few days, they've never even heard of it. I wanted to know a little more about why towns do this. What compels them to lock onto Lincoln, desperate to forge some kind of connection? So I put this question to Dr. Jackie Hogan, professor of sociology and anthropology at Bradley University and author of Lincoln Incorporated, Selling the 16th President in Contemporary America. Well, you know, it's interesting. In the course of my research, I found a lot of these kinds of stories, usually in smaller, more out-of-the-way places. Of course, I was interested in exploring the, the Lincoln tourism industry, and there are the major tourism sites like his birthplace, his boyhood home, his home in Springfield, the Presidential Library and Museum in Springfield. So there are those big sites, but there are also a ton of these smaller sites that have what I call sort of a hypothetical connection with Lincoln. So for instance, there's the cottage in Bement, Illinois, where Lincoln may have met at one time with Stephen A. Douglas to talk about the terms of their famous debate. There's a park in Harrodsburg, Kentucky, where Lincoln's parents may have been wed, but they're not really sure. There's a cemetery inside Lincoln's boyhood site in Indiana where Lincoln's mother, Nancy Hanks Lincoln, might be buried, but they're not really sure. And if you dig down, if you look sometimes at the fine print on the signage, or maybe you go to the visitor center and get additional information, oftentimes you'll see that these are really hypothetical sites. They're really not sure that the events actually happened there. But nonetheless, these traditional stories pervade over time. And one of the reasons for this is, especially in these small kind of out-of-the-way communities, Lincoln tourism can generate substantial revenue, and not only revenue, but positive publicity. A lot of these communities are in decline. So Lincoln has this double promise, promising to bring in cash for these cash-strapped communities, but also it's a way for them to claim some community pride in connection with this great American hero. You know, the idea is we help to make this man, and so we are an essential part of the nation, a nation that in other ways has sort of left them behind. So in a sense, I suppose it doesn't 
really matter if it's true or not. If people, you know, cherish it and believe it, it can be an important part of how people think of the community, how they think of themselves. We'll hear more from Jackie in a later episode, because she has a lot to say about Lincoln's link to our national identity. But what she says here brings up an interesting point. Every town wants some sort of association with Abraham Lincoln, no matter how small. Something Sue Breeze and Mr. Lincoln discussed when they met at the Sycamore Library. Well, you know, I, I travel quite a bit. I travel all over Illinois, up to Wisconsin, Indiana, Iowa. And I tell you, I've been to so many places they told me that I've stayed at before. I've spent the night, I've had a meal. Wonder I was ever spent any time in Springfield. <laughs> I was in Makoka to Iowa, that's East Central Iowa, and they told me they were convinced I had performed a wedding, officiated a wedding there. I never set foot in Makoka to Iowa and never did a wedding in my life. But mm-hmm. They're pretty sure of it. There. Well, that's their claim to fame. That's right. Their claim to fame. And yet, there could be something more to this Coltonville story. I said earlier that this story coincided with the 50th anniversary of the Civil War, so it forged a connection between Sycamore and the nation, restored some of that national pride that Dr. Hogan talked about. But maybe there was more going on, something else of national significance. Maybe it had to do with the road I had been driving down at the beginning of this podcast, Lincoln Highway. Lincoln Highway was conceived in 1912 to be the nation's first transcontinental highway. It would also be America's first national memorial to Lincoln himself predating the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. by a decade. Just as towns in the 1800s found economic prosperity in the railroads, in the early 1900s, a major highway through any town would have the same impact. Towns across America wanted the Lincoln Highway to cut through their downtown, to bring a steady flow of customers into their stores. Just as the Lincoln Highway Association began planning the new route, deciding which cities would honor Lincoln's legacy, along comes this Coltonville story, a story of great significance to Lincoln lore. If you're going to honor Lincoln with his own highway... Shouldn't it pass through or near a site of authentic Lincoln significance? Even after the route had been chosen, Sycamore still pushed the story, with one paper suggesting the Lincoln Highway Association should simply bend the road slightly to the north so it was, and I quote, all the more closely associated with Lincoln's career. If they had been successful, had bent Lincoln Highway slightly north and pulled it away from DeKalb, one wonders if DeKalb would have suddenly discovered some Lincoln lore of its own. While doing research on other Lincoln sites across northern Illinois, I found something interesting in the book Elgin Days Gone By by E.C. Alft. In a chapter titled Celebrities and Presidents, there is a subsection titled Lincoln Never Slept Here. There are four paragraphs dedicated to the fact that, you guessed it, Lincoln never stepped foot in Elgin. You could fill a library with a list of all the famous people who have never stepped foot in Elgin. But that's what makes Lincoln so remarkable. Even in his absence, he still leaves his mark. Whether it's with a statue, a library, a school, a highway, or the story of a meeting that never took place, Lincoln lives. Now let's sit down and have a drink with Kevin Wood, the man behind the beard. Kevin and I visited the Forge Restaurant in downtown Sycamore. It seemed appropriate because we've been talking this episode about communities forging connections with Lincoln and the nation. Also, even though the restaurant is in Sycamore, they brew their beer at the Forge Brew House just down the road in DeKalb. So they're forging new ties between DeKalb and Sycamore, too. For this podcast, we ignore the general wisdom that you don't drink beer or carbonated beverages during live interviews. You know, because they make you burp. And I went ahead and ordered a pint of Quiet Man. That's the Forge's Irish Red. Kevin, however, declined to order anything. He continued to sip from a canteen, as he had been doing all afternoon. So I asked him what he was drinking. Well, I, I've just been drinking water, sir. So I was drinking with Lincoln, and he was drinking only water. But that led me to my first question. 
what did the real Lincoln drink? And before I share Kevin's answer, I'll go ahead and tell you what I like about drinking with Kevin Wood. He never gives you a simple answer. He gives you a history lesson. Well, uh, Lincoln was not a drinker in the sense of uh, alcoholic drinks. It's said that he tried it a couple times as a young man, didn't like the effect it had on his mind. And so he saw no need for himself to, to take drink. Uh, during his life. Now, he certainly had an occasional drink, either for medicinal purposes or perhaps at some sort of reception. Uh, he, was, he, would, he would imbibe on occasion, but um, very, very seldom. And, and, ne- and always, of course, uh, not much. So, uh, you know, I would say that Lincoln was, didn't mind other people drinking as long as they did so in moderation. He, he was famously had a grocery at one point in his life, which meant that he served alcohol. And that was used against him in a campaign. You know, so he was not necessarily opposed to other people drinking. He did give a speech uh, once in Springfield to the Temperance Society. Spoke about the evils of alcohol, and mm-hmm. especially the, the overconsumption of alcohol. But, but he also couldn't speak out too much against it because he had to court the non-prohibitionist vote. Oh, and the German immigrants liked their drink. Yeah. But like in many things, uh, Lincoln was a moderate. You know, he wasn't too far on one side or the other, which meant... In many cases, uh, as president, for example, he was under attack from all sides, you know, on the issue of emancipation. The abolitionists were very upset that he wasn't moving more quickly on emancipation. Now, Charles Sumner, Ben Wade, Frederick Douglass even, whereas the, uh, the conservatives felt he was moving too quickly on emancipation. Well, General McClellan, for example, wrote him a, a letter, 62, saying uh, emancipation should never become a war objective nor a war measure. Of course, by that time and point in time, Lincoln's writing a little proclamation on the subject, uh, which will go against that advice. But right. but uh, but Lincoln got it on both sides, since he was he was somewhat in the middle. So Lincoln wasn't much of a drinker, possibly a teetotaler, perhaps a prohibitionist. But a lot of people did drink, and he needed their votes, so he remained a moderate. I'm sure I'm making this topic much simpler than it really is. So I'll just say that this is an issue we'll definitely be returning to in a later episode. In the meantime, I discovered that Kevin, when not betraying Lincoln, also doesn't drink. I didn't let that deter me. I had a beer. He had a water. I was still drinking with Lincoln. So to start, I needed to ask Kevin something that had been nagging at me for weeks. What do people in his profession like to be called? I often hear them referred to as Lincoln impersonators. Most Lincolns actually prefer either be called portrayers Portrayers. or presenters. In fact, our official organization is called the Association of Lincoln Presenters, the ALP. We don't much like a, well, reenactors is okay. We don't like impersonators. Elvis has impersonators. (laughs) Lincoln has presenters. Kevin will talk more about the association of Lincoln presenters a little later. But with my first two pressing issues out of the way, we're done with the primaries and we're ready to dive into the big race. Kevin's life as a Lincoln presenter. Now, you're from Illinois originally. Well, actually, I'm from Michigan, born in okay. Michigan, but I, li- I was here in my junior high and high school years. And where did you live in Illinois? We were in the Peoria area. We were in Germantown Hills, which is basically uh, just outside of East Peoria. Uh, I went to Metamora High School, Metamora Township High School, Woodford County. Okay. That was on Lincoln's Judicial And that was circuit, on Lincoln's right? Circuit. Metamora is one of two sites, still two courthouses still standing today in their original location in the state of Illinois that Abraham Lincoln practiced law in. It's a state historical site, and that was my introduction to Abraham Lincoln okay, back so in high school. Where it, that's where that's it came where it all from. began. So you you heard the stories. I imagine in school you visited the courthouse, took field in, trips, uh, that sort of thing. Certainly, and then doing those junior high high school years in Illinois, of course, there was at least one one or two trips down to Springfield, and 
the whole Lincoln story, New Salem and so on. Were you always interested in Lincoln because of that connection in your hometown, or was there a certain point in your life where it just sort of clicked? Well, I would say, actually, I b believe that I was interested in history and Lincoln even before we moved to Illinois. Growing up in Michigan, my, my father loved history, and, and he would take us to historical sites. So I think I was already interested, pretty interested in history even before I moved here to Illinois, and then just having that added connection to Lincoln but I was the same way. I, I, I wasn't portraying Abraham Lincoln in high school. Uh, you, were, you weren't doing high school plays? No, no, no high school. I, I only did one high school play, and my role was a doctor, and I only had six lines. So, I, no, no, <laughs> not much of a future there. But uh, it wasn't until years later. In college, I grew a beard. Mustache didn't come in very well, so uh, that's where the look started coming out. And then it was only when I was about in my early 30s that I first actually tried to do Lincoln for the first time. Did somebody point out to you that you looked like Lincoln or were you just looking in the mirror one day and you thought, man, yeah, I, I no, look people, like Abraham Lincoln? People, people pointed it out to me. But Is, then again, I mean, we must say that any young man who's tall and slim, who grows a beard, at some point somebody says, hey, you know, you look like Abe Lincoln. And <laughs> even if they don't really look like Abraham mm -hmm. Lincoln. So, uh, What did you do before you were Lincoln? So uh, I've had essentially two different careers uh, before my, my present career as Lincoln. I was a, a federal government employee for 11 years, worked for the Environmental Protection Agency in, uh, in the Philadelphia Regional Office okay. in the Superfund program. So my, my background was environmental science and public administration. And again, that's a, that's a job where I would do uh, an occasional public meeting, so uh, you know, get that experience speaking before the public. And then for 10 years after that, I was in Spain, living and working in Spain as a missionary uh, with my family. Uh, we were establishing a Protestant church in a little town in Spain, which previously had no Protestant church. I do not have professional training of any kind in, in being a historian. Uh, I do have a lot of experience in teaching, not, not as a professional teacher, mm -hmm. but I have, for example, taught English overseas I've taught Sunday school. I've, I've done a lot of teaching in my life. And a lot of what I do is, is teaching. I, I do a lot of programs in schools. But, and then the other thing I do really is, is sort of the, uh, the entertaining side of things or the, or the presenting. And in my case, I'm also a um, pastor by training. So I have a seminary degree. So ex experience preaching, I should say. So you know, those two things come together in, mm -hmm. in doing Lincoln. But as far as history and research, I... I do have uh, a lot of college training. I have uh, two bachelor's degrees. I have two master's degrees, actually three master's degrees, none of them in history. But I love history, and just like Abraham Lincoln did, I study on my own. Mm -hmm. And I learn a lot, and I'm always learning more things. So, for example, uh, one week ago, I was in Bloomington. Uh, Bloomington's a town that Lincoln had a lot of contacts with, a lot of friends there. And the city of Bloomington celebrates that each year with something they call Lincoln's Festival. Now it's called Lincoln's Festival on Route 66. And I've been their official link in the last three years. And uh, a year ago, I, I foolishly made an offer to them. See, <laughs> people in Bloomington are proud of the fact that Lincoln made a speech there once they call the Lost Speech. And it's a speech that uh, he gave on May 29th, 1856, the day that the Republican Party was officially formed in Illinois at the convention in Bloomington. And Lincoln was there, and Lincoln gave a speech. And... Uh, the traditional story is that the reporters were so enthralled by his words that they stopped taking notes. Um, the, the story probably has more to do with the fact that they, 
they didn't want the speech out there with the general public. Mm -hmm. The speech was to a very partisan crowd. It's not the sort of thing that's good for, for the general public in an election year. Mm -hmm. So the speech was lost. And I foolishly, a year ago, offered to find the lost speech. Mm -hmm. And so I spent several weeks researching and coming up with a facsimile of what I think is the lost speech. And I presented that a week ago down in Bloomington. But, but normally, you know, it's not that intense. Uh, normally, it'd be going to a new place. For example, today, I came to DeKalb County. So mm -hmm. I just did a little research to see uh, you know, Lincoln's connections with DeKalb County, which aren't many, as we've already discussed today. Right. We've covered them all. <laughs> we've covered them all. <laughs> Although, we, I, one other thing I did learn, which we should mention, 1860, election year. Uh, of course, Lincoln didn't campaign. That was not considered appropriate for the presidential candidate to go out and campaign. Although Douglas, you know, Douglas got desperate and went out campaigning. In fact, he went to the South. Well, you're from Alabama. Mm -hmm. uh, Stephen Douglas on election day, if I recall, was in Mobile, Alabama. Didn't help him. <laughs> but in any event, uh, during that campaign, September of 1860, I understand there was a big rally in DeKalb. And they say about 30,000 people showed up, which must have been more from just DeKalb County. Right. <laughs> and the great, uh, the great Cassius Clay, the great abolitionist uh, speaker from Kentucky, politician came up and, and did a big rally there for me. Uh, that's what happened. They'd have, we'd have surrogates go around and, and give speeches and so on. That's fascinating. Is there a favorite book of yours about Lincoln or a favorite author? You know, it's said that there are, well, said there's more books about Lincoln than perhaps any other person than, than Jesus Christ. Well, um, one source I do like is there, there was a book published, and today it's an online resource called uh, Collected Works of Abraham Lincoln. And at the time, it was an attempt to compile all of Lincoln's speeches, writings, et cetera, in one place. And I use that often because that's getting right to Lincoln's actual words from his speeches, from his letters, and so on. It's always best to go back to the, uh, the primary sources, as uh, historians right. will call them. So historically, we don't have any recordings of Lincoln's voice. So there are some descriptions of what he sounds like, but we haven't, don't have any actual audio of it. Uh, how did you decide on the voice that you use when you speak as Lincoln? Well, that's very correct. Uh, and when I first started Lincoln, I, doing Lincoln, I really didn't change my voice at all. Yeah, I had spent six years in central Illinois, so I figured uh, that's close enough. But as time went on, I realized I needed to put in a, a little bit of a, a Kentucky twang in it. So that's where I started moderating a little bit. But as you say, we, we don't have recordings. Now, it's interesting. I will sometimes do a program as Abraham Lincoln. And someone will come up afterwards and say to me, oh, and, you, and you sound just like him, too. <laughs> and, and, and I said, oh, you mean based on the uh, recordings you have my voice? <laughs> But, and, and the descriptions we have are not necessarily consistent either. Right. So uh, I just do the best I can. And, of course, uh, central Illinois, when Lincoln was living here, even as a young man, had a lot of people from Kentucky and Tennessee and Virginia mm -hmm. in it. He, and he spent the first 21 years of his life essentially in the south, in Kentucky and southern Indiana. So to talk more slowly than normal is the other important thing. And you're fluent in Spanish. Did you learn Spanish before you went to Spain? or is Not that, well. I knew a little bit of Spanish <laughs> before we went to Spain and then uh, learned it essentially in Spain. Now, are you the only or one of the only Lincolns who can give presentations in Spanish? I'm the only one I know of who does uh, regular or who does complete programs in Spanish. I know there are other Lincolns who know Spanish or at least know some Spanish. But I'm not sure if there's anyone who actually offers programs in Spanish, at least full programs. 
or, or any other language at this point. Okay, and what other languages do you present Lincoln? Well, the only one I actually do complete programs in is Spanish, but I do know enough French and German to do, um, I could do a, a, a partial program, an abridged program, uh, a mix, for example, of German and English or French and English. I know enough that I have gone to the trouble to memorize the Gettysburg Address in both French and German, as well as Spanish, of course. Okay, well, we're going to have to hear and that English. at some point. And I saw on your website that you had actually translated several Lincoln documents, several speeches. Yes. Well, okay. most of the, the Gettysburg Address, I'm working on the second inaugural now. And that's a pretty ambitious exercise if you want to do it right. Now, right. You can find translations out there, but I wasn't satisfied with the translations I found. And so I, I would look at different translations, compare them, um, talk to native speakers and, mm-hmm. and basically to come up with my own, what I think is a, a, a good translation. Okay. Well, I, I am interested in this beard because you have a glorious Abraham Lincoln beard and it is, well, it is a real beard. Yes. I, I, so I, I grew a beard in college and have had a beard my whole life since then. Just that's, that's what I wear. I wear a beard, okay. but normally, well, there's no normal anymore. Uh, normally a beard and a mustache. Now that I do Lincoln pretty much full-time, uh, the mustache doesn't come out very often. <laughs> comes out around Christmas. Is Christmas the slow season Christmas for, is my slow season. Okay. That's right. That's right. That's where we let Santa Claus take over and, uh, and Abe takes a little vacation. What is your busiest season? Busiest season is February, you might imagine. President's Day, Abraham Lincoln's birthday. The whole month of February for me and for most Lincolns is very busy. April tends to be busy. A lot of anniversaries in April. Mm-hmm. Fort Sumter, the assassination, of course end of the Civil War. For me, November is very busy. November, you have Election Day, you have, you have Veterans Day, you have Gettysburg Address Anniversary, mm-hmm. you have Thanksgiving. All mm-hmm. four of those can be tied in with Abraham Lincoln. This year happens to be especially busy because we also have on December 3rd, the bicentennial right. state of Illinois. So outside mm-hmm. of Christmas then, you have the Abe Lincoln beard all the time? For the last couple years, yes. Okay. I mean, I guess you don't really have an option of shaving it off if you want to. No, no, I'll beard. trim back. I do trim back, but I can't trim back too far. Do you style your own beard, or is there a place that you go, like a barber shop, and you just tell them, give me the Lincoln? Give me No, I, 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 I do my own. Okay. <laughs> I mean, have you thought of someday just getting rid of the whole thing and then pulling off young Abe Lincoln? I guess without the beard, though, it might be hard to pull off. Uh, people it's, might not recognize you people would not. That's the, beard, the difficulty is you don't necessarily recognize the person as right. Abraham Lincoln without the beard. Okay. So you, you need some context. Go to a place like New Salem, where mm-hmm. Lincoln lived all those years, six years, I should say. If they have a Lincoln presenter there, it would be a Lincoln without a beard. Mm-hmm. It would be a young Mr. Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln himself did not grow a beard until the election of 1860. Mm-hmm. A famous story of getting a letter in the mail from a young girl who saw his picture mm-hmm. at the fair and suggested he grow a beard. So that wasn't until he was 51 years old, and he had never had a beard before then. I'm curious how being Lincoln has affected your personal life. People who know me best, in particular my family, mm-hmm. uh, are a bit tired of Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Um, I've just had this experience a couple of times in the last few days of uh, something comes up at the dinner table and that reminds me of a Lincoln story and I want to share it and, and they're not interested in hearing another Lincoln story. And in my case, I also have the problem and, and I'm noticing it even a little bit here. I go home, 
well, you know, we were talking earlier, and I'm talking more in this voice, uh, my, my Lincoln voice. And, mm-hmm. and I get home, I've been being Lincoln all day long. And I walk in the door, and, and I still feel like Lincoln, so I'm still talking like Lincoln. And, <laughs> and that doesn't go over so well. No. Hmm. You mentioned your family or your kids. Do you, you have kids? I have three daughters. Lincoln oh. had four sons. Mm-hmm. I have three daughters. How old are they? What is their age range? They are all college age now, okay. or even post-college. So what do they think of their... Abraham Lincoln dad. They are um, alternatively um, accepting of it and at times just a little bit annoyed. (laughs) (laughs) But in general, uh, more accepting than you would expect, uh, you know, young people in their late teens, early 20s Mm -hmm. to be. So, for example, I had two daughters who attended the University of Chicago and uh, one of them in particular, well, I visited them on campus dressed as Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> uh, I, I ate I ate in a di- in the dining hall uh, dressed as Abraham Lincoln. Right. I've done that also down at the Uni- University of Illinois, where my other daughter is, which is a lot of fun. You know, other students come mm-hmm. around, but no, one of the daughters actually arranged for me to come to the school to help out with a uh, a little auction to raise money. The, one of the prizes was to have dinner with Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, uh, as long as I don't take it too far, they're okay with it. <laughs> you bill yourself as the fastest Lincoln. Mm. Or, in, or the, in the West. Fastest Lincoln in the West. Can you clarify that? Why just the West? Well, mostly just to be a little humble about it. Okay. <laughs> those, those East Coast Lincolns. <laughs> I just don't know about those East Coast Lincolns. There might be a fast one I don't know about. Well, what makes you the fastest Lincoln in the West? Well, I just put that out there. I'm just waiting for, for someone to challenge me on it. And, you know, if challenged, if I lose, I'll be happy to relinquish the title. But Like a Lincoln-Douglas showdown type that's of challenge? Right. Sure, sure. And I, I'm pretty sure I could beat Douglas anyway in a foot race. Because <laughs> he had short legs. <laughs> but I happen to be a runner, and on occasion I will run dressed as Abraham Lincoln. And I'm, I'm a pretty decent runner, competitive. Um, not as competitive as I... I could be if I had time to train, but uh, still good enough that I'll finish up up near the top. So, uh, and I, I've never seen an Abraham Lincoln finish in front of me. So that's why I say that. <laughs> and and I used to say that I do two things as Abe Lincoln that are not authentic. One is I, I speak Spanish, and the other is that I run races. And then I, I was told by the the good folks in Champaign County that there's a record down there that Abraham Lincoln. And a fellow lawyer had a foot race right in front of the courthouse, me in Urbana. And he won the race. And so uh, I now, well, I stand corrected. Abraham Lincoln was a runner. When you do races, Lincoln, do you wear the same outfit? Are you wearing the same outfit that you're wearing right now, your full Lincoln garb? Well, if it's, if it's cool weather, I'll wear essentially the same outfit. Of course, I don't have the frock coat on, but I have the long pants. I have the white shirt, the tie, the, usually the vest. But I don't wear the boots. I've got some nice black uh, colored running shoes. And then uh, if it's warmer weather, I have a different outfit I wear. I have a black t-shirt with a white tux print on the front of it, okay. uh, some black shorts. And oh, I, I don't wear my regular beaver fur hat, which is uh, it's fairly heavy. It's also fairly expensive. And I wouldn't want it to fall off while I'm running and, and get stepped on. So uh, I bought a, a, myself a, a little cheap uh, party store Lincoln hat to wear when I run. And it actually stays on my head better, too. Okay, and that doesn't, that doesn't uh, affect your speed at well, all? Well, it does. I, I've calculated. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing it, probably 10 seconds per mile slows me down, the hat. Okay. Just having it on my head and, and worrying about it, you know, 
grabbing it once in a while when it starts to blow off or, or taking it off the wave at the people. I have to do that at some time. So, yeah, it slows me out a little bit. The running Lincoln uh, being multilingual, does that help you? And being a Lincoln presenter, have you found that? Well, it other does. People I think I think every Lincoln has to find their 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 niche, if you will, uh, something they're particularly interested in, something they know more about than other Lincolns might know about it, something about their personal experience or background. And uh, in my case, those are just two things that are somewhat unique to me. And I'm not the only Lincoln who runs. I know that. Uh, there's a couple others who who do that. Uh, but I I'm not sure if I'm the only one. I, I have done some triathlons now too. And in that case, I, I can't wear the hat in the water. <laughs> I tried one time. It just didn't work. No, and I, and I can't even wear it in the bicycle race. I asked, mm-hmm. and they said, no, it wasn't approved. At this point, I switched our train onto a different track and asked Kevin to talk more about the Association of Lincoln Presenters, the ALP, to talk a little bit more about that. And also, I, I really wanted to hear this multilingual Gettysburg Address. This organization was founded in about 1990 by a few gentlemen who were portraying Abraham Lincoln. And then a few years after that, they had their first convention. And we have an annual convention held always in April, usually about the third weekend. And it's always in a site associated with the Lincolns in some way. It's not just for Abraham Lincoln. This is also for Mary Lincoln, or Mary Todd Lincoln, as she's sometimes Mm -hmm. called. But she herself was Mary Lincoln after the wedding. So, uh, for example, a couple of years ago, it was in Lexington, Kentucky, which, of course, is Mary Todd's home. And then uh, last year, it was in Freeport, Illinois, site of the, one of the debates. Now, next year, next, next year, we're going to Atlanta. To Atlanta? Atlanta, Georgia. Oh. Not, not Illinois, Atlanta, Georgia. And, uh, well, we got a fellow down there who's a presenter, and he's been after us for years coming down to Atlanta. And, and he says, uh, now, don't worry, uh, good Southern hospitality down here. It's all right. Uh, <laughs> Although he did say, you better not bring General Sherman along. <laughs> so are there other presenters in this group who are not necessarily a Lincoln or a Mary Todd, but just within the circle of Lincoln? Well, yes. You might say we have three categories. We have the Abrahams, we have the Marys, and then we have the other category, which could be pretty much any historical character. We have, for example, several, uh, well, at least a couple of General Grants. We've got at least one George Washington. Uh, we have a Frederick Douglass. So we do have uh, other characters. What is uh, it? Only one who's not allowed to apply would be uh, John Wilkes <laughs> Booth. Yeah. In some cases, uh, there are Abraham and Mary teams right. who are actually teams in real life. In other words, oh, okay. a husband and wife who yes. are married and present Abraham and Mary. In other cases, there are Abraham portrayers who have a, a partner, if you will, in a Mary portrayer. So in my case, uh, I do have a colleague who portrays Mary Todd Lincoln. Laura Keys from Freeport, and we do make ourselves available to perform together. Okay. If a solo Lincoln is looking for a solo Mary, how does one go about finding one? Do you have an audition? I think it's just a, well, Laura and I happen to meet at this convention, so I suppose that's the best way. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend Tinder, for example. <laughs> what is it like when a bunch of Lincolns get together? Well, as you've seen, I believe when there's just one Lincoln, it can be a lot of fun. So when you get a whole bunch of Lincolns together, it's, it's a whole lot of fun. You know, we tell stories and we compare notes. Like any kind of organization, we get together and we, we basically talk business. But it's also, you know, being a Lincoln can be a rather lonely business sometimes. Most of us are, well, especially those of us who don't have a Mary, as myself, uh, you know, we're, we're on the road alone a lot. So it's nice to get together with fellow Lincolns. 
uh, both Abraham's and Mary's, and share stories, uh, learn things. All of our conventions always include some sort of learning component. So uh, out in Freeport, of course, we learned about the debates, went out to Galena for a day, uh, which is a place where Lincoln had also been. Like any organization, we have, uh, we have awards, we have a, a board, we, we have elections, we, we do all the, the normal business of a, an association. Have you found that obviously the highest concentration is going to be here in Illinois? Well, in certain parts of the country there are more. Uh, certainly in Illinois we have a, a number. So, for example, when I began doing Lincoln uh, 18 years ago, I was living in Philadelphia. And as far as I know, I was the only Lincoln in Philadelphia. Uh, there was another fellow over in New Jersey. In fact, he was the, the founder of the, the organization. But when I moved here to Illinois five years ago, and this was after 10 years living overseas, I uh, came back to Illinois, settled here, and discovered, well, it shouldn't have been a surprise, there were quite a, a number of Lincolns already here. So I would say in the state of Illinois, there are six or seven of us who are, if not full-time Lincolns, um, pretty heavily into doing Lincoln portrayals. And then a number of others who, who just do it on a, on, a, on a more occasional basis. I will say that not all Lincolns are members of the ALP, the organization I mentioned. Some Lincolns, uh, for whatever reason, have chosen not to join, including um, at least a couple of the, the more well-known Lincolns right here in Illinois. Is there ever a rivalry among Lincoln presenters? Well, I think uh, there's a, there is a, naturally, there is a little bit of rivalry, mm -hmm. but most of us Lincolns are pretty uh, laid back about that sort of thing. And for me personally, I'm always open to looking for new opportunities to be Lincoln somewhere. I think most of us just believe that the more Lincolns there are out there telling the story of, the, of Abraham and Mary Lincoln and, and sharing his, his values, his principles, and sharing the story of what happened in our country during his time, that the more of us there are, the better because uh, it's a big country, <laughs> and relatively speaking, there's not that many of us. I am very intrigued by the fact that you can say the Gettysburg Address in four different languages. Would you give us a sample today? Okay, well, we'll start in English, of course. Uh, very of course. familiar words, everyone. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. And then we have Spanish. Hace cuatro ventenas, mas siete años, nuestros padres hicieron nacer en este continente a una nueva nación, concebida en libertad y dedicada a la proposición que todas las personas son creadas iguales. And then we have French. Il y a quatre vingt ans, no peur. Ont donné naissance sur ce continent à une nouvelle nation, conçue dans la liberté et dédiée à la thèse selon laquelle tous les hommes sont créés égaux. And then we have German. Vor 87 Jahren brachten unsere Väter auf diesem Kontinent eine neue Nation hervor, in Freiheit gezeugt und dem Grundsatz gewidmet, dass alle Menschen gleich geschaffen sind. It's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. And of course, it's a little hard to go from one language to another. Keep a right. good accent. Well, even if you don't know the language, it's got the And you can certainly hear those through. words and the feeling. Yeah. And it's interesting. It, it is a, 
such a uh, inspiring statement, and it does. You just catch the sense of it. Even other languages, you don't you don't know. Just as we prepared to leave, I was taking another look at Kevin's Lincoln hat, which up close is worn and rough, more brown than black. It looks well used but authentic. It's also surprisingly heavy. The inside is lined with letters and speeches, some of which Kevin pulled out for reference during our day together. This is authentic too. The real Lincoln did that. And then Kevin mentioned the price of the hat. This is a $700 hat. Did you have that custom made or is that just a... Yeah, so this is made by a gentleman named John McMicking from uh, Canada, Ontario, near Toronto. I think he's still around. He's made Lincoln hats for several Lincolns. This is, uh, the measurements are exactly the measurements of the hat that Lincoln wore the last night and went to the theater. This is the hat that's at the Smithsonian. Because sometimes people look at it, they say it's not tall enough, but they're used to more of the, maybe the cartoon figures of Lincoln with the, looks like the Dr. Mm-hmm. Seuss hat. Lincoln wore different hats over the years. He, he wore some that were taller, some that were shorter than this. So I bought it for $400 in the year 2002. Another Lincoln I know got one two years ago approximately. Well, actually, the, the gentleman gave him the hat, gave him the box, and said, uh, the box will cost you seven fifty, and uh, throw the hat in for free. <laughs> yeah, so seven fifty, and that was a couple years ago. We may be up to 800 by now. Of course, I don't know. There might be a, might be a tariff now on the hats imported from Canada. Never went there, did we? No. <laughs> <laughs> we had not gone there, and I wasn't sure if we should, but then I thought, why not? What, what better person to lead us through these troubling times? After all... All afternoon, when we'd been walking the streets of DeKalb and Sycamore, people had been calling out to us, Save us, Lincoln. Run for president again, Lincoln. Make Illinois great again, Lincoln. Wasn't there a demand for Lincoln's wisdom concerning the current state of affairs in this country? Uh, A couple things. One is, am I Lincoln or am I? No, who am I? (laughs) You can be Lincoln if you want. I don't know anything about your current uh, political situation, uh, but... uh, I will say this, that when I was elected president, a lot of people in this country weren't too happy. don't know if you know that. Uh, do you know how much of the popular vote I got? I got 39.6% of the popular vote. Now, there were four candidates. Okay, so I essentially got 40%. Douglas got 30. John Breckinridge got 20. And John Bell got 10. And I won the electoral vote, basically by winning the North didn't take any states in the South. We were truly a divided nation. A lot of people weren't happy with me. Uh, Seven states went so far as to secede from the Union rather than have me be their president. So I wasn't necessarily a a very popular fellow. And in my my inaugural address, I I said something, talking to those people who felt that, uh, you know, the country was going to ruin because I had been elected. That's what I said. While the people retain their virtue and vigilance, no administration by any extreme of wickedness or folly can very seriously injure the government in the short space of four years. So I just offer that out to, if there's anyone out there today who might be unhappy with their current president or or maybe the previous president or or maybe the one before that, as I say, uh, well, in just four years or, or eight years, no fellow can do too much damage to our government. Uh, I hope that's some encouragement. <laughs> and the other I would say, well, just thinking about my second inaugural address. You know, toward the end of that Civil War, we were looking forward to the healing, this divided nation of ours. And, and uh, well, I summed it up this way. I, I was looking for a, a rather generous policy toward the South, lenient policy. And, 
I said, with malice toward none, with charity for all. I think that would do us pretty well, uh, pretty much any time. Yes. Well said, Mr. Lincoln. Thank you. Well, here's to drinking with Abraham Lincoln. Thank you very much. So, <laughs> so you may have noticed a little thunk there near the end, right after I said, here's to drinking with Abraham Lincoln. That was actually the sound of a failed glass clink. I, I tried to clink my glass with Kevin's canteen, not realizing that the canteen had a wool covering. My sound guy, Carl, thought this was hilarious. It wasn't much of a clink. <laughs> you can fix that in post. Yeah, we can fix that in post. Thank you for listening to the Drinking with Lincoln podcast. And thanks to Kevin Wood for being our first Lincoln and for helping us reach out to more. You can find more about Kevin at his website, mrlincoln.com. That's mrlincoln.com. Also, thanks to Chris Wellendorf at the Forge Restaurant in Sycamore. I'd also like to thank our sound engineers, Carl Nelson and Spencer Tritt. This show was produced by WNIJ, Northern Public Radio. Our theme music was provided by Mana Contorso. You can check out more of their music at another WNIJ show, Sessions from Studio A, which features the best regional and touring music. I'll drop a link in our show notes, which you can find at wnij.org. I'll also link to other information on the people and places we explored in today's episode. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. And if there are any other Lincoln topics you'd like us to cover, or Lincoln presenters you'd like us to interview, drop us an email at dwlincolnpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks. Abraham Abraham Lincoln Abraham Lincoln So am I Lincoln now? Yes. <laughs> Actually, I, I can't even get totally out of the voice. I noticed this there were a few times when you were telling stories that kind of went back into the Lincoln again. This is what again, might drive my wife uh, crazy. And yeah. you know what? I So about a month ago, I preached at a church. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. normally preach, but about once every six months or so, pastor will have me preach. And I did my message. And, and I've heard myself. I heard myself as Lincoln. Mm-hmm. You know, this kind of folksy, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is not normally how I speak. And the right. you know, pastor was, he said afterward, he said, yeah, it looks like Abraham Lincoln's preaching to us today. <laughs> the sadder the man. So what?